1: Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
3: NFL Total Access is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio.
4: It's Monday, February 6th, and you're listening to NFL Total Access. I'm by myself, so it's the podcast.
3: is the voice of today's special guest, Singular. He is the co-host of NFL Total Access, the broadcast. He is the co-host of the NFL Explained podcast. He made his way to the polished cement floors of NFL media in the retina-searing glare of SoFi Stadium by way of Fordham University, then New York Radio, covering the Knicks and the Mets, followed by an eight-year stretch at the Pac-12 Network He's been a sports center host, a Fox correspondent, and an inmate at Rikers. Sorry, a stationary <laughs> biker. Wow, spell check is so weird. Joe Giardi's Catch 25 Foundation awarded him the Joan Pichelik oh, Tribute Award for raising awareness of Alzheimer's in the media. He is a gentle soul with a fierce mind. He is the sweet potato kid. He's Mike Yan. Welcome back, my friend. That's the best intro ever. Going deep in the memory. Going man. deep. On today's show, in the way of a dress rehearsal for young Michael, call it a vigorous warm-up for the week, I'm going to get you to make a case for both combatants in Super Bowl 57. Because if history and instincts and this season have taught us anything, it's that there obviously is a path to victory for both of these very good teams, these top seeds in their respective conferences. The question is, what do they look like? Mike, that's your job today. But first, this.
0: In evaluating our players, what are the things that they do really well, um, and then let's try to uh, put them in those positions. Um, at least that, that's a starting point, and, and I think that's important to highlight their strengths, Then also to minim, minim, minimize maybe any weaknesses. Here's what I know. I know he's a hard worker. I know he's an extremely hard worker. Uh, that's important. And I think you take that, you understand the skill set. He's, he's won uh, a lot of games in Seattle. We, we played him quite a bit just because we were both playoff teams in the NFC at that time. And then you go from there.
3: That, of course, is Sean Payton officially introduced as the new head coach of the Denver Broncos today. He mentioned, Michael, that he likes the work ethic of Russell Wilson. Uh, he may not love the contract. Five years, $242.5 million. But of course, the big price tag the picks. Two first rounders, two second rounders, and a fifth. The Broncos, no first round picks this season. They only have six total picks. And as much as Sean Payton likes the fact that Russell works hard, we saw a Broncos offense that made it look hard all season. Lowest points per game in the NFL, 19 points something, right? Is this a short-term vision for Sean Payton? Because something tells me it's not, that he's thinking long game, and long game for Payton may not include Russell. Am I overthinking that? Help me understand maybe why Sean Payton took this gig. It looks like it has more problems than upside from where I'm sitting.
4: Well, the cash certainly helps. Number one, you get a clean slate with an ownership group that is hungry for wins. I go back and forth on this one, and I knew you and I might be Decent defense. This. I actually think it's a great defense, to be honest with you. So I, I think that's one less thing that he needs to worry about. All the accolades, all the things that come with Sean Payton as being a great offensive mind in this game. Does that help an offense automatically? I think the short answer is yes to that. Here's where the real concern is. You mentioned the draft pick situation. Now, there's two different ways to build your team. In fact, the two teams that are playing on Super Bowl Sunday have done it very differently, right? Like, you got an Eagles team that has dipped into free agency, made some trades, and some really shrewd moves to get veterans that are out there. On the flip side, you got a Kansas City squad that's also made some moves but relying heavily, especially on the defensive side, on a lot of rookies. You know, we did the NFL draft. We do it every single year at NFL Network, and I couldn't help but notice the concerted effort from a Kansas City perspective, to draft heavy on defense. And it's paying dividends for them now. I say that because I look at this Broncos team and I think to myself, what I saw was an offense that couldn't figure it out. I saw Russell Wilson that didn't look like the Russ in Seattle. Does Sean Payton help alleviate some of those things? Yes. You know, I was in Vegas for the East-West Shrine Bowl last week, and I talked to some NFL folks about – Denver and the type of job that that this is and I do go back and forth because Drew my personal opinion is I don't know how great of a gig This is right now for some of the things that you made reference to and yet the more people that I talked to felt like Previous coaching staff was maybe in a little over their head And that's why we saw some of the struggles that we saw offensively from them But um, and they feel like Sean Payton now stepping in will change this the fortunes of this program or for this team rather I I just – I don't – I don't know if I totally buy it yet.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure I do either, and I really appreciate that context because if I'm looking at the depth chart of the Denver Broncos – now, of course, this is going to change. But as it stands right now, the wide receiver room is interesting with Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy, certainly. You've got you know Kendall Hinton and K.J. Hamler and Freddie Swain there as well. The offensive line, decent, solid, if not spectacular – Garrett Bowles, certainly a nice big bouncer on that left tackle side. Russell Wilson, of course, at quarterback. A lot of upside for Javonta Williams at running back. Yeah. We liked him at North Carolina. We like him in Denver, or at least we like what we think he could be. There is a story out in our world, Michael, a criticism that the knock that Russell isn't seeing the field. We heard somebody mention it today. We won't call out names, but somebody that we work with today said that about Russell, that... Look, guys, this isn't about play calling. This isn't about Nathaniel Hackett's play design. Uh, and, of course, don't forget, Nathaniel Hackett was designing the plays and calling the plays until he ceded control of that to sure. Clint Kubiak at some point uh, mid-season. But a lot of criticism from people inside, from players who know or seem to think that they know, say, this isn't about play design, this is about play execution. And that burden of responsibility falls squarely on the shoulders of Russell Wilson. Do you see, because I feel a fix out there. I have so much faith in Russell. I'm one of the people that has been defending Russell all along. I like his corny, I like yeah. his schmaltz, and I like the way he plays. And to Sean Payton's point, the kid works very hard, but are we on the leeward side of Wilson Mountain and is it never going to recover? Are we never going back up again?
4: So if you like Russell Wilson, then you gotta love the move for Sean Payton because he could be the elixir that. I wanna really, love Really, I wanna love Right. I, you mentioned the vision stuff. I don't know if I totally buy that, to be honest with you, because we saw him succeed yes. in Seattle. So I don't know if you can have it both ways. So I'd i rather be more positive than than negative. So I'd like to think that this works out. But I got to tell you, in those first four to six weeks of the season next year, if it looks like we just saw, then I think it is abundantly clear that Russ is on the other side of this. and
3: that organization needs to figure out next moves. Do you expect a Sean Payton-led effort in the offseason, clearly to sort of define who they are as a team, define who they are as a franchise, but with only six picks, heavy activity in the free agency market, do you expect Sean to be the kind of guy to bring in? I mean, you've got Brett Rippon there, But that's hardly pushing Russell to the place that he really needs to be pushed. Do you expect another quarterback to be brought in? I can't imagine one of those six picks is going to be used to get a quarterback. They simply don't have the capital to get maybe the guy that they would want. The other knock, and we heard this in the meeting as well, somebody say, rather flippantly, well, the fact is Russell Wilson is no Drew Brees. I would agree with that assessment.
4: But you hit the nail on the head. It's not like they have a ton of capital to go and get other pieces. Pete Carroll is known for the idea of pushing guys through competition, more so than maybe any other coach that we have in the NFL. We saw it at USC, Michael Robinson, who will be on this podcast, I think, at some point later this week. He'll tell you the same thing. Russell Wilson won his job in that scenario. No doubt. I don't think that happens in Denver. I think the keys to the car are clearly Russ's now. You need to figure out how to win with the dudes that are on this roster with this quarterback, or make some other moves around the quarterback, because i don't think they're using draft capital, and to be quite honest with you, i don't know if we're going to see a quarterback competition considering the amount of money they
3: just gave him. We have talked at great length over the last week and a half now, and certainly all season, but certainly focused crystallized attention this week on this first, this Super Bowl first, two black quarterbacks starting in, yeah. the, in the Super Bowl for the very first time. But, of course, for us, it's not about skin color. It's about skill set. We are seeing two guys who are in their own way, one more as a traditional runner, Jalen Hurts, one more as a, well, as a magic man. I mean, he has that nickname for a reason in Patrick Mahomes, able to move the pocket, avoid pressure, uh, work off script, off base, better than most people in the NFL. That's why they're shortlisted MVP candidates. It's why Mahomes has a half a billion dollars coming to him, and it's why Jalen Hurts is on the rise, is on the ascendancy, and is, you know, making a permanent stamp on the NFL. But the one thing that we have talked about time and time again, Mike, is that you have to, in this day and age, we talked about it when Tom Brady announced his second retirement, that you have to be able to make guys miss. The one knock on Russell is that he took way too many sacks. And the fact is, he took a lot of sacks from a guy that we remember early days as being able to make guys miss. Yeah. Is he going to have to sort of lose weight, get quicker feet? I mean, is there, do we, is there an adjustment coming from the Russell Wilson that we think we know? So
4: one of the things that David Carr would bring up pretty repeatedly on Total Access is this idea that we didn't see Russ working outside of the pocket, to be able to see receivers downfield and use the vision that might be inhibited a bit because of his actual physical stature. You go back to the film and you watch him and what he did in Seattle. Those off scripted moments, using his legs, uh, you know, kind of uh, those quick little passes off balance on the run. Those are the things that we used to see. Russ doing and executing in Seattle we didn't see a lot of that there there were times when things started to go well we did see a little bit more of that I can't help but think that Sean Payton because of the physical stature of Drew Brees being similar to Russell Wilson I I think you're going to see Payton be creative with how he uses how he uses
3: Russ. Mike Yam, thanks for your thoughts on Sean Payton. The Sean Payton era begins in earnest today. Congratulations to the Broncos franchise. We know you got yourself a Hall of Fame coach. The question is, do you have a Hall of Fame quarterback? And, of course, it's not about the Hall of Fame credentials, but that has been the question. How good is Russell Wilson? Doubts have started to creep in. To be fair, Russell has allowed those doubts to creep in. It is now his opportunity to shut those doubts up and erase them from his career narrative time will tell
0: you go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.
1: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva, With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut,
2: Next topic,
3: Super Bowl 57. I think you heard about it, Michael. It's a little game coming up on Sunday in Glendale, Arizona, between the AFC top seed Kansas City Chiefs and the NFC top seed and the home team Philadelphia Eagles. The Philadelphia Eagles are wearing green, and of course that means they're going to lose because 15 of the last 18 Super Bowl winners have worn white. I don't buy that. I don't buy the punxatani Phil BS. Let's talk real. Let's talk what's actually going to happen Before we do that, let's talk about what should happen for both teams in order to maximize their chances of getting a win. Let's talk about a path to victory, and we will start in the AFC, the away team, the presumptive MVP, Patrick Mahomes. Michael Yan, what is the path to victory for Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs? So I think there's a lot of different ways to
4: dissect this. You get to this point of the season, Drew, probably gonna roll with what has worked for you. Dance with who brung you? No doubt. I don't know if that's going to be the path. And hear me out here. I think Mahomes is probably healthier than, than we give him credit for. I still think he's banged up. I don't know how. We all watched the friggin' injury, and I understand what happened in the AFC Championship game, and he was able to thrive there. I still can't wrap my head around it. I can't either. But let's just say, for argument's sake, he's relatively healthy. Yes. Right? Philadelphia has been so opportunistic – This season in terms of creating turnovers and what they've been able to do in terms of generating pressure on opposing quarterbacks is really spectacular. I think if I've watched Kansas City throw the football and we can love up the rookie Isaiah Pacheco and all the good things that he's done. At the heart of the matter, Kansas City is a pass first team. They are a team that's going to rely on creativity and the magic that is Patrick Mahomes. Yes. Maybe I'm overthinking this, but I actually think that for Kansas City to have success and to win this football game, you're going to have to do some things a little bit differently than you have this season. This is by far the best defense that they've played. Historically great in terms of this team getting after the quarterback. Over 70 sacks so far this season. Pick your poison on that defensive line, which, as D. Hall mentioned today, and I love the line, it is the great equalizer in any single game for what you're capable of, of doing. Um, I I just think we'll see more of a steady dose of Pacheco than we have previously. I think they need to run the football a little bit more because I think Philadelphia and every team that's played Kansas City has seen what that passing game can do. And
3: I just don't know if I'm completely sold on Mahomes right now being being completely healthy. I have this muscle memory, we all do, that the last time that we saw a Chiefs O-line just bossed and bullied for 60 minutes was in that Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And what was the final score of that game? 31-9, something like that? I don't believe that that is what's going to happen. But there is a part of me that believes that if we see this Philadelphia Eagles team, who you have described perfectly, at their best, especially that Philly defense, that it could, in one game script, maybe a couple different game scripts, go that pear-shaped for the Chiefs yet again. So how do you counteract that? is it's with the screens, it's with a heavy dose of run. And I think when we we talk about a Kansas City Chiefs run game, we we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's worth repeating. The Kansas City Chiefs offense, a lot of their passing game serves the purpose of a running game. David Carr said it again in today's meeting. All of those little quick outs, the bubble screens, obviously the jet sweeps, those are runs. But a lot of their passing game is really designed to just change the shape of a de facto yep. running game. 100%. So uh, when you say Isaiah Pacheco, maybe a, a heavier dose of him than maybe we've seen in the last couple of weeks, as effective as he's been, it doesn't necessarily have to be handoffs, just get him involved in the offense. Yeah, I, totally. You know, Mike Leach, uh,
4: who, who passed away uh, suddenly uh, a couple of weeks back, I remember him telling me when he was at Washington State people would criticize him for not running the football. And he would say to me, Mike, it's not about my quarterback turning around and handing the ball off. He's like, all my screens. He's like, that's a de facto running game for me. And I think what Andy Reid has been able to do at the NFL level screams to what you are discussing. I also think if you, if Mahomes isn't a hundred percent, the reality is I still don't buy that. He is. I think it's really important for that offense to take as much of a load off as possible because I don't think there's another f- defensive front that Kansas City has faced that's like the Eagles, and to me, that's the thing. That's the reason why I'm picking Philly in this game. And I'm, By the way, I'm a Giants fan, so I, I don't want to pick Philly yeah. to win this game. I just think the pressure that they're able to generate and the chaos that can ensue on Patrick Mahomes because of this defense is, is the thing that puts them over the top.
3: Okay, so you're, you're halfway through this first case, So you've talked about Casey's offense versus this Philadelphia defense. Let's put some numbers on it to put this part of it to bed. Kansas City's offensive ranks, total offense, first in the NFL, scoring offense, first in the NFL, passing, first in the NFL. They are second on third downs. They are third in terms of sacks, which means they don't give up a lot of sacks, and that goes to the mobility that we have seen from Patrick Mahomes and the mobility that I think, Mike, to your point, we fully expect to see on Sunday. I'm not sure he's human. We should probably do a check because if he's not human, that may be in breach of some NFL bylaw. We'll have a closer (laughs) look later. They are second in the red zone. They are fifth in terms of big plays and they are first in terms of yards per play. The two areas of concern, of course, rushing, the traditional rushing attack that we expect, QUARTERBACK TURNS AND HANDS OFF TO RUNNING BACKS, THEY ARE 20TH IN THE NFL BUT THAT IS A THAT'S A FALSE NUMBER POTENTIALLY BASED ON HOW YOU AND DAVID HAVE DESCRIBED AND MIKE LEACH HAS DESCRIBED THAT KIND OF AN OFFENSE AND OF COURSE THEY ARE 17TH IN TURNOVERS, THEY HAVE BEEN KNOWN TO GIVE THE BALL AWAY TOO OFTEN WHICH YOU SIMPLY CANNOT DO IN A GAME OF THIS MAGNITUDE. ON THE OTHER SIDE OF THE BALL, The Philly defense, to Mike's point, yes, this is the best defense that they will have faced all season. You could argue that the Buffalo Bills game, and I think, Mike, you said this earlier in week six, that Bills defense at that time was probably a top two or three unit. So it may remind them of that game. Let's remind you what happened in that game. The Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Buffalo Bills in week six, 24 to 20. Rankings, Eagles defense, total defense ranked second behind only of course the San Francisco 49ers. First against the pass, so that is strength on strength. You have the number one ranked passing attack versus the number one ranked passing defense. They are first in generating sacks, tied for fifth in generating turnovers, and they are first in yards per play on defense, which means that they do not give up a lot of yards per play. And yet the Kansas City offense generates more yards per play than anybody else in the NFL. It is a fascinating matchup. Even statistically, it's got me a little bit excited. (laughs) Areas of concern, scoring, they're still top 10. They're eighth in the NFL, but they are tied for 16th against the Rush, which I think leads us back to Mike, Your point that if Kansas City can generate any kind of a rushing attack, even in the way they do it, even if it looks a little differently, that may be the path to victory for them. And they are 14th. Eagles are 14th on third downs, So middle of the pack on third downs, which is not very good when you go up against a Kansas City attack that is second best in the NFL at converting on third downs. Okay, let's flip to the other side. Casey's defense, Philly's offense. Make the case for KC's defense against this Philadelphia Eagles offense, an offense that is ranked third in total offense, third in scoring offense, fifth in rushing, ninth in passing, fourth on third downs. They are fourth in terms of turnovers, meaning they don't give the ball away a lot. Third in the red zone, first in big plays, sixth in yards per play, and third turnover differential. Translation, they do everything well. So what's the case for the KC defense? What do they do against this Jalen Hurts-led? versatile diversified hurt you many different kind of ways philadelphia offense
4: so one of the things you could also add on that chiefs defense is the fact that they're also second in the nfl in terms of sacks only behind Philadelphia philadelphia by a huge margin by the way we're talking about one of the biggest margins in nfl history between first and second it's like 70 plus sacks for philadelphia and in the low 50s for for kansas city so to me You're right. There's a lot of balance there. I I get concerned about that secondary because we're talking about a lot of rookies that Kansas City is relying on. And as you mentioned before, and I think this is one of the biggest differences in this game, for as much as you can make the claim that, you know, the front seven on both of these teams are are really good. and, And they are. Here's what I like about what Philly can do. They got – of the 70-plus sacks that they got, 56 of the sacks so far this season come without needing the blitz, which basically means you will go man coverage a whole lot. For all the conversations we have about checking Travis Kelsey, there's a guy where they can still get after Patrick without needing to bring another defender, have another guy back. I don't know if it's going to be zone or man, but the point is that's just one extra body that's out there. And on the flip side – When you watch Philly's offense, and it's been well chronicled on Total Access, our crew has been amazing at breaking down this RPO game from Jalen Hurts. They're freezing a defender consistently because you don't know if Jalen's going to take off or if he's going to go over the top and find one of these receivers, whether it's Brown or Smith. And I think that's the biggest concern that I have. you got a secondary right now for Kansas City that is young. And granted, they've had some nice moments so far this
3: season, especially gotten better late in the year. But – what do we know about Lajeria Sneed? Still, Still in concussion up. protocol. Yeah. We do not know if he will be cleared for this game. So what's going to happen with He's probably their best man-on-man corner. No doubt. Uh, oftentimes you will see him in the slot. But if Snead can't go... We now turn to exactly the guys that Michael is referencing. Trent McDuffie, who's listed on the depth chart as a nickelback, but he's very, very versatile and would likely slot into one of the corner roles. You've got Joshua Williams on another side, also a rookie. You've got uh, free safety Brian Cook, also a rookie. And you've got Thornhill and you've got Jalen Watson, who is also a rookie. And who backs up Jalen Watson? Nazi Johnson, also a rookie. So, yes, you've got youth all over the backside of that Kansas City Chiefs defense. And if what you're saying is true, that Steve Spagnuolo with this Chiefs defense may have a math problem, that they may be down a guy, which is kind of what you're intimating. If they freeze that, if they bring that man into the box, you can't play too too high safety. You've got to bring one of those guys into the box to help the linebackers stack that box, make it a bigger box. So you ostensibly, you're spying Jalen Hurts at that point. That leaves one-on-ones on on the outside with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. Good luck, Rook. Good luck. And look, if Snead doesn't play, we saw McDuffie slide into the
4: slot uh, for him. Brian Baldinger and I were, were talking about this over the weekend, and Baldy brought up a really good point. Spagnola does a nice job of not necessarily taking one of those corners. Maybe it's Sneed when he's out there, but generally speaking now, those guys won't be following A.J. Brown or Smith across the field. Basically, they'll get their half or their section of of the field, and they don't have to worry about roaming, which I think does simplify things. So I think it is a good job from from Spagnola from that perspective. but. I, I'm with you. I, I just look at this Philly team, and as we get closer to this game, and we've now had you know basically a week to digest it and think about all the different angles, I keep coming back to Philly winning this thing. And to me, if this is close late, I like Philly in this one. I think Kansas City, there's more pressure on them to come out of the gates and, and put up points early. Um, I know their offense is, is really strong. I just don't feel great um, – about kansas city throttling this defense i can see some explosive plays downfield you know what's really fascinating um saturday we did total access over the weekend baldy had to give some numbers for jalen hurts what what equals a win i was shocked by what baldy had to say he goes um eight carry eight rushes for 60 plus 60 ish yards okay and 200 passing yards is that enough exactly what I said. I wasn't supposed to reach but hold it because the time, yeah, but, but I did. <laughs> okay,
3: so if – but but actually, you know what? Let's extrapolate. Let's kind of reverse engineer that. Yeah. He has eight carries for 60-plus yards and only 200 passing yards. That means that Kenneth Gainwell, Kenny G, and Miles Sanders are getting a heavy dose of carries, and we can assume yeah. that between the two of them, they're up over 150 yards, so that's 200-plus yards rushing for the Eagles and 200 yards passing for the Eagles. But more importantly, that is time off the clock. That is time that Patrick Mahomes is not on the field. Fewer drives, fewer opportunities. Maybe that is the answer. Maybe he's saying, look, if the stat line looks like this, while it's not gaudy, it tells you everything you need to know because it means that Philadelphia is controlling the game script by controlling the clock.
4: Yeah, a lot of a lot of pressure on that duo in the backfill for Philadelphia if that's the case. And I still think my question to Baldy was: Is 200 yards? Are there enough explosive plays for that offense to put up enough points? Because Kansas City can score. Let's 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 be real here. Yes. For as much as I like filling this game, Kansas City's going to put up some points in this one. I do think it's it's incumbent on on Philadelphia to get some of those moments, have those moments that we've seen, whether it's a big 60 yard touchdown. AJ Brown, One of those moments. I think we get those in this game because of of a young secondary that I think Jalen's going to be able to take advantage of. I wouldn't be surprised on that on those RPO plays. Look, Jalen's going to hold sometimes you're going to see him pull and you're going to see him throw down the field, and I think he's going to be able to find some guys open just because of how unique. it is. They have been
3: dominant all season long. This Philadelphia team, do you remember the exact number? I think it was like 10. 10.2. 10. Listener, check this out. Michael and I asked Jonathan Bassi, our intrepid researcher, earlier because it was a thought that Michael had because in the meeting he kept saying, guys, I think we're forgetting the fact that the Eagles have been a dominant Team all season, and a couple of people raised their eyebrows. One Cowboys fan in particular, of course, <laughs> raised an eyebrow and questioned the use of the word dominant. But if you look closer, and if you take the Jalen Hurts absent games off, and no disrespect to Gardner Minshew, but this is a different team with Jalen Hurts in it. As the starting quarterback, their margin of victory in those games, 10.2 points. Doesn't sound like a blowout. Let's compare it to the rest of the league. Where does that have them ranked Mike first first top of the heap number one in the NFL a winning margin of 10.2 points is better than 31 other all 31 other NFL teams. So to your point this is an explosive and yes dominant Philadelphia Eagles team. Now what's the knock. They haven't played anybody. We hear that a lot Uh. at times like this. We're going to examine the truth of that statement in a moment. I interrupt this podcast with a confession that if I were to have been quizzed on the names of the linebackers on both the Chiefs and the Eagles just maybe eight, ten days ago, I would have taken far too long to come up with only a couple of names. Hassan Reddick, of course, springs to mind. And then, well... Crickets, a bit of a pause. But in a game where RPOs coming from the Eagles, as Michael has just suggested, and Travis Kelsey coming from the Chiefs, as we all know, the linebacking units for these teams may be more than just significant to this game. They may just be defining. For more on this, let's send it over to the TA set.
5: I want to focus in. On the linebackers. We're going to start with the Eagles here because they've been a key component for this group. Just look at the numbers here. A group that includes, by the way, Hassan Riddick, Kaiser White. They rank first in completion percentage allowed and receiving touchdowns allowed. See, hole give a little scouting report here. What yeah, have they been and- great at, and where can they improve?
6: Hey, look, this Eagles linebacking core, they are multiple. They can do a little bit of everything. So I got some little film I'm going to show you guys. First, I want to start with my man, Hassan Riddick, one of the big free agent signers that when they picked him up, I said, oh, my goodness, this dude is, is an absolute monster. Here you see Hassan Riddick. Now, the 49ers typically don't do this, but this is a protection error. You cannot put a tight end one-on-one with uh, Hassan Riddick. Mm-hmm. He's not going to win. And this ultimately ended up being the play that knocks out Brock Purdy in that NFC Championship game. But you see Hassan Riddick finish at the quarterback. See where he finishes at, right? He's able to get his hand right there on that football, get it out of there. Here again, now showing, showing a little bit of his, his mindset. He used to play inside linebacker, so he has that ability to understand, run a pass. He doesn't go down and bite, right? Typically, that defensive end stays down and bites. He stays high, he's able to get another sack there on Josh Johnson, almost gets that football out. Now here is what they don't do necessarily great all the time, right? No linebacker covers that well. Jordan Love's back here at quarterback. He's identifying what's going on, right? You got your running back out here, tight end out here. We know they're in zone. We used to call this route sucker. That's TJ Edwards. (laughs) They're trying to attack him. Here, I need Kazir White eyes on Jordan Love. Go make that play. He's looking nowhere. Let me show you another angle. Jordan Love eyes is pointing right to the right side. Kazir White has to make that play. And so, yes. The numbers tell you this Eagles linebacker court, they're awesome. They are. But every linebacker struggles in pass coverage. So we know the Chiefs love to get that football out. And Patrick Mahomes, he's a bad man.
5: <laughs> I love that you said that play was called sucker when you guys ran it. Because yeah. we've seen top-tier linebackers shoot uh, Fred Warner in that same game. The Eagles were able to put that on yeah. him as well. Anybody can get got in this league. Alright, right. let's uh, turn over to the Chiefs defense here. Their strength, no doubt, has been up front. Guys like Chris Jones, flank Frank Clark, rather. But when you look at their linebacker, of course, some room for improvement. Last in the league and completion percentage allowed towards the bottom of the pack in all of these major metrics. David, how do you see them improving as they head into the Super Bowl?
7: Well, you can't really do anything about this, right? The numbers sure. are what they are. And, MJ, you're a true professional. I love that you brought up Fred Warner because I want to show you what they're going to be faced with, right? Mm. This very first play that I'm going to jump into, this is where the Eagles succeed. They put Fred Warner, all-pro player, in a position where he hesitates. Right? So if you watch this, he's trying to play the run, trying to play the RPO, trying to play if Jalen's going to keep it. And he ends up playing nothing. Right? He did this probably three or four times in that game, and that's what Kansas City has to face. So how do you, how do, you do that? Right? Look at Fred right here. He's got so many different things he has to read. I would say, if I was Steve Spagnuolo looking at this tape, Fred Warner's a dynamic player. I don't have players like that. I have young, fast players. Let me just let them run, okay? This is an RPO. Justin Herbert's going to look back to the left. But watch the linebackers flow. They're just going. They're, they're full-on going to beat the offensive line to the ball and they make a nice play here, right? So that's, that's the, the trap that you can fall into when you play against Philly is you can get caught trying to guess. Mm. And if you do that with these young linebackers that are not Fred Warner yet, you're going to be in trouble. But if you let him fly to the ball, like Nick Bolton does right here, he can make nice plays. He can beat your double teams. He can backdoor plays. He can make impact plays in the run game where they might not necessarily be a top-five defense. But they can make enough disruptive plays to put them in yeah. third and long, and then you have a chance to get the ball back for your defense or for your offense. So I think that's what you have to do. You can't let them hesitate. can't let them read. Let those, guys, let those young guys just fly to the football, and they'll be okay.
5: By the way, there's not – Picking on Fred Warner. The reason we use him as an example is because he's at the top of the league. He sets the standard. So, oh watch out if you're the Chiefs' linebacker crew. Look out for those type of things.
0: You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.
1: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva, Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.
2: You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi.
3: You are listening to NFL Total Access, the podcast. I'm your host, NFL Network senior writer Andrew Levy. Okay, Michael, I haven't given you enough time to make the second case for the Philadelphia Eagles. But let me remind the listener that you're coming around on the Eagles. The closer we get to kickoff, Michael Yam is saying he believes more and more that the Eagles are going to win this. Michael, I agree with you, and there's a part of me that thinks that the Eagles might not just win this, they might do it handily. They may do it running away. That is not the game I hope to see. I hope it's a classic to the end. Hell, I'll take an overtime game. I'm with you. But I could see an Eagles blowout. I can't believe I'm using the B word here. I could see an Eagles blowout if it goes according to plan. What is that plan for the Philadelphia Eagles? I, I
4: I think it's going to be an explosive offensive display from Philadelphia. And for as much as team identity is defense for me, and maybe fans disagree because Jalen Hurts is an MVP candidate, and I, I wouldn't argue. The argument that I've made for Philadelphia all season long is they are one of two or three teams that are the most complete balanced teams in the NFL. One of those squads being the San Francisco 49ers. And I wish to God they were completely healthy for that NFC championship game because maybe we'd be talking about a different result here. But for all the people that will look at the schedule, let's, let's consider this. Kansas City lost to the Colts, which
3: I'll throw that out here. But they did lose to
4: Cincinnati and they did lose to
3: Buffalo. Yes. Week three was a loss to the Colts. 20-17 20-17 to 17. week six, they lost to the Bills yeah. 24-20. And week 13, they lost to the Bengals 27-24.
4: Philadelphia's two of their three losses have come without Jalen Hurts. They played in arguably the most competitive and toughest division in all of football. Yeah, yeah.
3: out of States. nowhere, the NFC
4: East went from, eh, to, wow. And it, it's really unfortunate that the AFC West did not live up to the billing that we all wanted in the offseason, talking about them being historically great. The yeah, coolest talking about Russell seen. Wilson and, and the, the Broncos whole thing. earlier, that didn't pan out. The whole thing. It? we got a new coach in in, uh, in Denver. i got to tell you, the division for the Eagles is better. And for as much as I'd like to say the Chiefs played a tougher schedule, you know they lost some of those games against their better opponents, Buffalo and Cincinnati. Yes. They redeemed themselves against Joe Burrow and company in the AFC championship game. D. Hall said this, you can't knock a team for for their schedule and who they played because they did beat those teams. Washington had flashes this year, and and you're a Commanders fan, Andrew, so I don't need to tell you. You know, that's the one loss that kind of sticks out for for a moment. They throttled Minnesota. Say what you want about the Vikings. They were still a playoff team. I, I say all this to say Philadelphia is a dominant team that you need to give respect to. I think most people understand how good they've been so far this season. The recipe is a heavy dose of the RPO game. I think that's going to be a problem for a Kansas City perspective, and I think that Eagles D-line is – is the thing that puts them over the top. I was asked from our social team to do a pick. I picked the Eagles. They said pick an MVP. And you don't really see defensive guys win the MVP award. But I think it's I think Hassan Reddick, I think he, he could be one of those guys that has one of the helps in one of those critical moments like Aaron Donald, you know, when we saw the Rams win the Super Bowl. I think he could have that type of an effect. So I'll lean defense because I think everyone else would just pick Jalen Hurts or or Brown. But I I really do think that's the difference in this ballgame.
3: We said it before the break, but it bears repeating. The Philadelphia Eagles do everything well. They have the second-ranked total defense in the NFL They have the third-ranked total offense. They are third-ranked at scoring, fifth at rushing, fourth on third down, and ninth at passing. Let's not take that away from Jalen Hurts. Not known for being a passing attack. They're a top-ten passing attack in the NFL. You never know who is going to hurt you. You never know how it is going to happen First 15 plays, do you expect to see a lot of designed runs for Jalen in order to pull, to lure that extra body into the box, to create those one-on-ones that we expect to see? Is that what you expect to see? I totally think. I think
4: they established the run early to try to bring up some of those defenders, and I think they're going to get killed in play action at some point later in the game. Like, I, you know, maybe before halftime. I I think Nick Sirianni and this team, they're going to take some chances. Um, I... God, even as I'm thinking about it and I'm talking with you, I just like Philadelphia in such a big way. And it's crazy to me because there's still the, the X factor that is arguably the best player in the NFL. Maybe the MVP this year in Patrick Mahomes. And for, I, I didn't think Patrick could do what he did against Cincinnati. The Bengals and what they did on the road in Buffalo, looking at that defense coming up big, making the Bills look average as the day is long. I thought Cincinnati was going to win that game. So maybe I'll make a mistake here. And maybe Kansas City does win the Super Bowl. But I think there's a lot of signs pointing to Philadelphia winning this game.
3: A healthy Patrick Mahomes saw three losses on the Chiefs record this year. A healthy Patrick Mahomes. A Jalen Hurts scratch saw two defeats for the Philadelphia Eagles. For me, Jalen Hurts is the most valuable player in the league this year. And he proved it in his absence in week 16 and week 17 when the Eagles had two chances to secure the top seed in the NFC. They waited till week 18 to do it. They had a chance against Dallas and lost. They had a chance against the Saints, the somewhat lowly Saints. Always a dangerous defense, but they were a better team than the Saints. And in back-to-back weeks, we saw what the absence of Jalen Hurts did to the chemistry, the flow, the game script, the temperament, the vibe, the whole thing. It was a different team without Jalen Hurts. And for me, that proves that he is, in fact, the most valuable player We saw a, and this is no disrespect, of course, to Patrick Mahomes. He is a magical human being. Our world is better off that he's in it. But we saw when he took that injury against the Jags, Chad Henney did, in fact, step onto the field and lead a (laughs) 98-yard touchdown drive. It's no knock on Patrick. It shows the depth of that Kansas City team, and it shows the genius of that Kansas City scheme that they were able to survive so well even in his absence, short-lived though it was. Philly cannot say the same thing. Why? Because of the value of Jalen Hurts. We interrupt this podcast because when owners come knocking, we answer the door. We say, thank you. You can leave your shoes on. My shoes are off. That's a house rule, but you're the owner. Please come in. Have a seat. Can I get you something to drink? We begin with Clark Hunt from Kansas City, and we will finish with Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Mr. Hunt, please get us started.
5: Right now, we get to give a huge total access welcome to Chiefs owner, chairman, and CEO, Clark Hunt. Mr. Hunt, so great to see you. Of course, we know the Hunt legacy here in the NFL. Can you share with us some of the stories perhaps your father shared with you about that era and that time in the NFL?
8: Well, it's great to be on with you tonight. It's such an exciting evening. Uh, opening night here in Phoenix at the Super Bowl. Um, There's so many great stories going back to the early days of the franchise. The team started off in Dallas and uh, after a few years uh, competing with the Dallas Cowboys, my dad made the decision that the team needed to move to Kansas City where it became the Chiefs. Um, About three years later he was able to engineer the merger between the two leagues and that ultimately resulted in the Super Bowl uh, which his Chiefs were lucky enough to play in Super Bowl One against the Green Bay Packers. That game didn't go our way, but uh, the Chiefs were back in it three years later and won Super Bowl Four. You know, you're adding to that legacy with your third
5: trip to the Super Bowl in five years. I actually remember speaking with you in Kansas City after Super Bowl 54, when you guys won the Super Bowl that year. How have you been able to maintain and sustain such high level of success with this Chiefs team?
8: Well, one of the most difficult things today in the NFL is to be consistently successful. Uh, The league's rules are really engineered to make that difficult with the salary cap and the way draft choices work. But our general manager, Brett Veach, and Coach Reed have done an amazing job of keeping the team competitive. Uh, We had a big turnover in the roster this year. A lot of people didn't think we would be back in the playoffs, in fact, because we had so many young players. But Andy and his staff did a magnificent job with them. Uh, And this past weekend in the AFC Championship game, many of those young players were really the key to our success, not a roadblock to our success.
5: I love that you mention the young players, the guys making their Super Bowl debut, many of them rookies, because Kansas City will be the host for the draft in April. Why is that huge off, off-season Super Bowl, as we like to call it here, so important, not just for the city, but for the team as well?
8: Well, it's been something that we've worked on for many years to bring the draft to Kansas City. Um, the Chiefs fans are so tremendous. We refer to them as the Chiefs Kingdom, and they will be thrilled to be able to celebrate one of the NFL's marquee events with the draft coming uh, to Kansas City in April. I, I'm personally looking forward to it so much. I believe the draft's a a big uh, component to how you build a championship team. And getting to have the draft in Kansas City with our great fans is going to be really special.
5: We always like to say there's really no downtime in the NFL. The calendar year just keeps going because then after the draft, you still have to put your eyes on the international game series, which the Chiefs will be a part of next season. How excited are you for the world to see Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes magic?
8: Well, going back to my dad, he was a big advocate for the NFL's growth in Europe. Uh, And it's something that I've been blessed to be part of over the last decade, serving as chairman of the International Committee. And uh, when the the league presented us with the opportunity to market uh, in a couple of foreign markets, we were really excited. Uh, We picked Germany as one of those markets. We've been focusing on it for the last 12 to 18 months. And we were thrilled to learn uh, a couple months ago that we would be playing a game there this coming fall. Uh, we don't know the opponent and the timing just yet, uh, but we're looking forward to continuing to grow the Chiefs' kingdom in Germany.
5: You know, I can imagine those uh, flights are all getting already getting booked up right out of Kansas City and beyond. Mr. Hunt, thank you so much for sharing opening night with us and best of luck on Sunday. Right now, we get the honor of welcoming in Eagles owner and chairman and CEO Jeffrey Lurie. I know that it is loud in there from opening night at uh, Super Bowl in Arizona, but we have to hit you right really quick on the way that you and Howie Roseman have rebuilt this team. It's been something truly special to watch, Mr. Lurie. Only eight players are on the team now that won Super Bowl 52. So what went into putting this winning roster together?
9: So, MJ, it's so loud in here, I can barely hear your question. Uh, maybe we can up the volume a little bit here.
5: Absolutely. I'll try to uh, speak a little bit louder if that In helps here. you at all. Really, we wanted to know what was the secret sauce of putting this winning roster together?
9: So, you know, organizationally, I think our constant focus is sustained success and try to maximize the short term, <laughs> you know, maximize the short term, but also prepare for the long term. And that's helped us every single day we're always trying to improve but with an eye towards the future as well and it allows you to make really potentially good decisions and uh, I, I, Howie deserves so much credit his staff for thinking outside the box, making really important strategic decisions and you know we're, we're not risk-averse and we'll, we'll go for it at the same time as we're going to always focus on what we can do to maintain that success in the long term. You know, one of the players you committed to right away was Jalen Hurts. What a legacy he's already
5: building for himself. Adding to Super Bowl history here, first time two black quarterbacks starting a Super Bowl game. The Eagles have a history of success with black QBs. Why is that so important to you and the Eagles organization?
9: Well, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that from Randall Cunningham, Donovan McNabb, Michael Vick, Rodney Peet, Jalen Hurts now, these are all excellent, excellent people and they're very talented, and the Eagles have always, you know, sort of adopted the, 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 we always want to get the best quarterback possible, but the fact that we've been able to showcase and have outstanding black quarterbacks, it opens the door for so many others in the NFL, and uh, we're seeing it every day, every year, outstanding young black quarterbacks enter the league, and now two black quarterbacks starting in the Super Bowl they're both outstanding and they both love the game.
5: No question. Now off the field, of course, the organization has really committed to special causes, including one that resonates a lot with me and my family. The Eagles Autism Foundation has done remarkable work in research and advocacy. It's been a prior a priority for you. Why is that?
9: So, uh, you know, autism its the fastest growing neurodevelopmental disorder. One in 40 something births in the United States and around the world. It's very underfunded. And I always thought, and my my brother is autistic, so that kind of is the first thing. What kind of an impact could a sports team have on a condition that needs so much funding and help to really solve the puzzle? And so we try to make the Eagles as synonymous as possible with autism. And if you notice, like, in our end zones, it says Eagles Autism Foundation. So for millions across the country every day that we're field goal, touchdown, whatever it is, that's what you see, and it helps to fund really dynamic scientific research that is so proactive and innovative to try to come up with something that really can help, you know, solve autism, help the conditions of those that have it, and just be there for those that are so underserved and, as I said, underfunded. So, It's great to have a sports team that just you want to make synonymous with something that can really benefit society in such a great way.
5: Yeah, something that resonates not just in the Philadelphia community, but well beyond that. Now, we just wrapped the Pro Bowl games, where flag football took a center stage. It's a huge part for the NFL. You've made a commitment to it in Philly, in particular, high school women's flag football. How do you see this growing in Philadelphia and
9: beyond? So, you know, we're a a very big supporter, as you know, of of female flag football and and, uh, all flag football. We think it's a a big part of the sport going forward. And, you know, we we researched with females and their participation in flag football and other sports. And we realized that if we could contribute, as we are, 30,000 sports bras to athletes in Philadelphia and the area, the participation levels would go way up. So we're trying to get to the grassroots of what can create massive participation. It's a great way to play football, and it's it's going to be, I think, an Olympic sport at some time, and we want as many females and males to enjoy that participation and thrive. It's just a great sport, and we want to be a part of helping it.
5: We saw it center stage at the Pro Bowl games with two offensive coordinators coming at the global level champions at the World Games. Mr. Lurie, thank you so much for sharing opening night with us. Best of luck on Sunday.
9: MJ, thanks so much for having me.
3: And finally, before I thank today's special guest, Mike Yim, who has a date with makeup in six minutes. (laughs) Yes, that's right. It's all it's all makeup. It's all smoke and mirrors, guys. He's a hideous, hideous young man, but, man, he looks good. It's a hell of an art project (laughs) in there. It is a hell of an art project. Before I let you go, you wonderfully, boyishly handsome man, I wouldn't be surprised if. Just a first thought, a Monday of Super Bowl week. All right, we're just getting things going. The teams have just touched down. I'm not going to hold you to it. I know that you're leaning a little bit toward Philly. Uh, are you feeling a score? Are you feeling a game script? Here, Mike am I wouldn't be surprised if.
4: For the guy that spent most of this podcast talking about Philadelphia, how about this? We all know where I stand. I think the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. I can see them winning close. However. What Here's what I'll tell you. If you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan, before you get really upset, vow never to listen to another podcast because <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. There's an experience factor that comes with Patrick Mahomes, who's now playing in his third Super Bowl. Jalen Hurts, both of these guys under 25. Jalen Hurts, it's his first game. You don't know how some of these players are going to respond. Nick Sirianni, Andy Reid, let's be real here. Andy's been in these games. He's won a Super Bowl. He knows what it takes. Um, Spagnuolo, the, the defensive coordinator for Kansas City. If I'm not mistaken, this is his fourth Super Bowl game. There's something to be said for experience in these larger environments. I wouldn't be surprised if there's these creative moments, both on offense and defense that Andy and and Spagnuolo are, are able to put together that does Put Kansas City on the top. I think if they win, there's of course the magic of Mahomes. I get that. But look for these creative moments. And sometimes the creativity is obvious, but if it's not, I can guarantee on Total Access when we're doing sort of the recaps of the Super Bowl, our crew will go to the film room, we'll get Baldy up on the touch screen, we'll get M Rob on the touch screen. David will break down these plays. The moments that you don't pick up on as a fan, I guarantee if they win, there's going to be a few of those subtle little things that the coaching
3: staff puts in place that puts them over the top. I think the best football mind on the field will be wearing glasses and yeah. a mustache yeah. with a red hat on the Kansas City Chiefs' sidelines. His name, of course, is Andy Reid, and he may be the best coach in the NFL right now. Right now, in terms of resume, sure, of course it's you, Mr. Belichick, but right now... If I had a game on the line, a drive to design, I would put it in the hands of Andy Reid before putting it in the hands of anybody else. I think the best football player on the field in terms of what he is capable of, in terms of what he sees, how he feels his way through, how he can make something out of nothing. It's the guy wearing number 15 in white, as it turns out, for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's Patrick Mahomes. So if you have both of those elements on your team, don't be surprised if... Michael's I-wouldn't-be-surprised-if scenario comes in. You mentioned experience. Can Jalen Hurts join an exclusive group of quarterbacks to win the Super Bowl before the age of 25? He would become only the fourth starting quarterback to win a Super Bowl prior to turning 25 years old. The other three, Ben Roethlisberger, Mm. a guy named Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. Pretty good. And a young man by the name... Patrick Mahomes. Jalen Hurts will be 24 years, 189 days old on game day. He would be the oldest of those four if he were to do it, but only the fourth to win it before the age of 25. Michael Yam is 24 and a half. I'm just over. I'm 26. (laughs) (laughs) And on that duplicitous note, I want to thank today's special guest, Mike Am. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your thoughts and your analysis. I want to invite the listener to join us tomorrow when we begin a two-day, two-part process of reminding you how they got here. Tomorrow we begin with the Kansas City Chiefs, and we will go back to week one and show you, or more to the point, you will hear how this team got to this point, the best and the most important play from every single game along the way, and then on Wednesday, we'll do the same for the Philadelphia Eagles. How they got here, that's tomorrow. Till then, ciao for now.